Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you have a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We've been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, that comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new man. He is the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist. So each episode of New Man will consist of two things. One, Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by a conversation about a bite-sized piece of a papal document pertaining to the Eucharist and worship. So today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Father Mitchell Zimmerman and Father Matthew Nagel. Welcome, gentlemen. Great to be here, Lee. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course, of course. Father Mitchell's over here just plowing through some M&Ms. We're so, recording this with two days left before Lent, so I'm getting, right. I'm getting my candy in. Let's go. <laughs> Gentlemen, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself, your state in life, your parish assignment. What's life as a priest look like for you right now? So uh, I am at the Diddy Catholic Campus Center at Emporia State University. I also have a parish in Hartford, Kansas, St. Mary's. So, um, you know, most of my time is devoted to college campus ministry at uh, at Emporia State there. Uh, I love it. It's Go Hornets. Go Hornets. That's yeah. right. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Very cha- stingers up. That's what we say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, challenging, but but uh, challenging and, and pretty time intensive, but but worth it. Cool. Great. I'm Father Mitchell Zimmerman. Uh, I'm the director chaplain of the St. Lawrence Catholic Center at the University of Kansas. That's my full-time assignment. Uh, I've been a priest to the Archdiocese for 18 years, and most of that time I've been a director or a chaplain. I've only been a pastor for three years out of the 18. Nice. Uh, and uh, the seventh year now here at KU, so rock chalk to all all the Jayhawks out there. I know there's a lot of them. Uh, and we're uh, we're screaming toward a number one seed in the NCAA tournament this Let's year, go. so we're getting excited about the basketball team. Uh, yeah, so I've been a priest 18 years, and it's been amazing. Uh, this particular assignment, we're the Catholic mission to KU. Uh, so we are not a parish, but uh, a mission uh, to bring the Catholic faith to bear on the relationships and experiences and learning that takes place at KU. And uh, so many incredible people pass through this place, this holy hill, and uh, we're so privileged to be able to present the Catholic faith here. Amen. Um, KU is totally, uh, not necessarily university, but the St. Lawrence Center in particular has blessed my life immensely. Uh, my my conversion has really, uh, I can point to the St. Lawrence Center almost every step of the way with uh, like just growing in the faith. So thank you to St. Lawrence. Thank you, um, Jayhawk Nation. So let's go back to the beginning. Father Nagel, we'll start with you. Um, how did you fall in love with Jesus? Like what is your love story with the Lord look like? Well, I was raised Catholic, and we practiced the faith growing up. Um, so I think it really begins there. Where did I fall in love with Jesus? It, it it's a little bit like asking, "Where did you learn the Our Father?" I I, I don't really remember. Uh, it was it was sometime as a small child, but I think it took a a, a turn for uh, when I was in college. I went through something of a conversion, and 
became uh, uh, more enthralled with the Catholic faith and and um, really through regular prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament, I came to have a, a deeper love for our Lord. And also, I would say, studying the faith. Um, you know, you, you referenced John 6 at the beginning, um, just in this society of relativism, mm-hmm. to be able to sink your teeth in on the solid truth that's been revealed by God who cannot deceive nor be deceived. Um, this is Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. This is an objective reality. This isn't an opinion. This isn't true for me, not true for you. Mm-hmm. To really uh, kind of be able to uh, sink my mind into that was massive for yeah. uh, this relationship. It, one of the things I tell the college students is that part of a relationship with Jesus is engaging the saving truths he revealed. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just prayer time is incredibly important, but you also got to sink your teeth into what he what he revealed. Right. Like what's informing your faith. Right. Yeah. Right. Great. Like uh, Father Matthew, I, I grew up Catholic and I really inspired um, my parents uh, weren't articulate about the faith, but you could tell by how they lived yeah. that uh, the Eucharist was at the heart of their life. Yeah. So even when we went on vacation, my family, we went, we found a place to go to mass. We love to go camping at the lake. Yeah. And you know, we would have loved to, as kids, to skip mass sure. <laughs> uh, and just uh, fish and ski some more. But, uh, you know, Sunday mornings, we knew where we were going. And, you know, my grandpa who just passed away in April this year, 104 years old. Nice. I, I don't think missed mass his entire life. Well, I don't think my dad has missed mass his entire life. Uh, and that that fatherly example, my mom was huge, too, in my faith. But the fatherly example, I think, makes a big difference mm. uh, if we look honestly um, at the way our culture is going, the way the faith is going, uh, fathers have a big influence in that. And uh, so my father is, you know, is rock solid. When the church needed something, we always said yes. I actually liked going to church when I was a kid, so there was an affinity there that it was just a gift. Uh, faith in the Eucharist was very natural yeah. uh, to me, but I would say my faith in the Eucharist changed dramatically when I was 19. I was here at the St. Lawrence Center, and uh, Father Matthew also went through our program here at St. Lawrence, so nice. uh, another Jayhawk here today. Uh, but we went uh, to the World Youth Days in Denver with John Paul II, and something happened to my heart at that Mass with John Paul II, and I can still feel how my heart changed. Mm. And I just knew the hope of the world w- would flow through the Eucharist, yeah. and, and I heard the words of Jesus, you'll go out and do greater things than I did. And, and I was looking at, what am I really seeing here? <laughs> uh, I have, you know, Jesus never gathered a million people. He can mm. gather thousands, but he said, no, you guys will take this and run with it. And um, yeah, you'll present the Eucharist to more and more people. And I saw a million young people from all around the world yeah. gathered around the Eucharist, united. And I said, this, the hope of the world runs through the Eucharist. I could see it. Yeah. I could feel it. Uh and I wanted to be a bigger part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that John Paul II celebrated the Eucharist with great devotion, he had a Eucharistic amazement and sense about right. him. Um, he was larger than life, but that wasn't about about him. It was about his love for the Lord. Right. <laughs> uh, and I was infected with that, and yeah. I was never able to get that infection out, Right. <laughs> that amazement. Uh, so that's kind of where it started for me. Amen. And what World Youth Day was that? 
1993 in Denver. 93. Yes. Father Nagel, so you, um, you, you had a really deep dive into truth. Uh, what, like, was that in high school? Was that in college? When did that really kind of pivot for you? It really pivoted here. Okay. Um, and I think it started with just the catechetical classes at St. Lawrence. I was a junior in college when I started taking them. Okay. And I do remember uh, Mike Scherzlick from Holy Family School of Faith. Big shout out, big shout out. Yes, yes. He he did a few classes on John 6. Mm. And it was the Eucharist was something that even when I had drifted away from the faith as a freshman and sophomore in college, I, I have... Uh, a memory of being a freshman in college and explaining to one of my fraternity brothers the difference between what Catholics believe and yeah, and Protestants on you know communion or whatever. But um, um, that began this you know dive into the truth of the Eucharist, and it, it exploded in seminary. Yeah. You know when I was able to take really good philosophy courses all the way to uh, typology sure. and getting into that. I mean, obviously, new manna. That's uh, manna being probably the greatest type from the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, so yeah. typology is something that fed my prayer uh, immensely. Right. Could you explain to our listeners, like, who might not know what mm-hmm. typology is? Can you go? Sure, sure, yeah. sure. So the basic idea is that God, who's the author, primary author of scripture and the author of human history, his providence guides all things, that he can write a deeper meaning into the events of salvation history, and he does. Um, to prefigure, preview, yeah. if you will, uh, the greater things he's going to do. So, for instance, uh, one classic example is as Israel was freed from slavery by passing through the waters of the Red Sea. So we're freed from the slavery to sin and death and the devil by passing through the waters of baptism. And uh, with the Eucharist, you know, right. God fed his people during their wandering in the desert for 40 years as he feeds us during our pilgrimage of this life. Yeah. So that's exactly what this whole new manna initiative is. It's It's a... It's a branch of that typology, right? Of that type of being fed with uh, with bread. So good. So World Youth Day really rocked you. Um, and what would you say? Because I, I love what you said about like how the hope is is here. It's in the Eucharist. The hope of the church is in the Eucharist. And something that just like really resonated with me was like the hope of the church runs through our veins. Like if the Eucharist is is within us and the like Christ is within us, then the hope of the church is within us, not totally up to us, right? All things are in God's hands, but like how he's entrusted himself into us for the sake of the church and upbringing and encouragement and consolation of the church. It's, it's powerful. It's wild. So what happened after World Youth Day for you, Father? Yeah, I think my love of the Eucharist is deep and most of all in liturgy. Uh, so the theology of the Eucharist is amazing. And I, I, I especially love uh, teaching the theology of the Eucharist to married couples who will get married in the context of the mm. Blessed Sacrament yeah. um, uh, within the sign of the Eucharist, that they become, that you know, the Eucharist uh, feeds the love that they have for each other, and they are to be a sign of God's desire to be married to the church. Right. Uh, so sacramental um, deepening and awareness, uh, the liturgy, you know, I think I, I, I get more and more excited about how the liturgy of the church, uh, and, and of course, the Blessed Sacrament is the source and summit of that, but how it opens up dimensions of reality that uh, that most people are not aware of. Mm. Or we we live, I think, most of our lives, <laughs> kind of on a horizontal plane. Um, yeah, you know, a very a very distracted, sometimes superficial, and there's so much more reality to drink deeply of through which we come alive as persons. Mm-hmm. 
so I think it, I could become more and more fascinated how people come alive through their relationship with the Eucharist. Yeah. So whether it's through their friendship with God, the marriage of heaven and earth, opening up that dimension of reality, opening up truth and goodness and beauty and communion, uh, these transcend- transcendentals that that free us to live. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the in the likeness of God, uh, and and that means having access, you know, to so many things. A friendship with the with the saints and the angels is broken open in the liturgy. Yeah. Um, remembering Christ's sacrifice on on Calvary, getting a foretaste of what heaven is like. Yeah, um, these things are in the document that you. Um, as you had us read for today, sure. uh, you know the, those things. I think a liturgical uh, amazement. Uh, you know, I celebrate Mass more and more and more, uh, really thousands of times now as a priest, and I, I, I would say it gets more new. Yeah, <laughs> the more you celebrate for it, sure. you would think it's the same thing over and over and over. But the representation of what it really is gets more exciting over yeah. time, and that and that's a gift. You know, that's a for gift sure. of faith in the Eucharist. Yeah. Amen. And liturgy is just a, a fancy word. It's a Greek word. It means it means corporal work, right? Household work of of the people. So like um, this corporate work of of uh, this this heavenly liturgy, uh, which is expressed here on earth in in the mass, like that we get to participate in, is is just the beginning. You know, it's like it's the celebratory liturgy. But honestly, the rest of our lives should be liturgy too. Is that that continual working? in and out of uh, everything that's taking place at the Mass. Amen, amen. Yeah, amen. And I, I would say one of my frustrations working in a Catholic mission where, you know, the Eucharist is it's fairly easy to ignore or uh, there's so many young people at a secular university like KU who are inoculated to the power of the Eucharist and the difference that it could make in their lives for them to access truth and, yeah. and the fullness of life that they're made for. And uh, I get frustrated, you know, when we talk about Eucharistic amazement. Um, for me, it's just an awareness of how our lives could be different if we had a, a, a Eucharistic-centered existence, because it really it breaks open reality and the fullness of life like like nothing else. Yeah. And, and that's the work of liturgy. Yes, it's to it's to engage mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in this in this reality. Yeah. Um, that is that's oftentimes too easy to ignore. Amen. So, Father Nagel, tell us about uh, your, what does your life look like in the Eucharist today? I mean, obviously you're a priest, you're kind of like a unicorn, you know, you're, I mean, you're just, you know, you know, that you don't see him every day, Um, but like, um, what does your prayer life look like with the Eucharist today? You know, it's the bedrock of my prayer life. I mean, I mean, it is a tangible difference for me if I try to do, say, my personal Holy Hour meditation um, with the Blessed Sacrament, or yeah. if, say, let's say I'm on vacation and I'm in a place where there isn't the Eucharist reserved in the tabernacle. Sure. There's a there's a tangible difference. It's Everybody has distractions and prayer, et cetera. They're just multiplied for me when I'm not praying in the presence of our Lord. Mm. Um, and then, kind of like Father Mitchell was saying, the more I celebrate Mass, the more I appreciate God's goodness to us. Yeah. I mean, in the sacraments, He is making it easy to give himself to us. Right. Um, you think of baptism, which I know this isn't a podcast about baptism, but I think it's a good example. It's all good. You pour water, you invoke the Trinity, and we go from being in a state of enmity with God 
to being his adopted son or daughter. Yeah. We, you know, God himself comes to dwell in us. And it's the same with the Eucharist. You have bread and wine and a priest, you know, ordained priest says, this is my body, this is my blood. And God himself gives him, we receive under the uh, appearance of bread and wine. Mm-hmm. You know, he gives himself to us to nourish this supernatural life within us. And, um, you know, there've been many experiences of saying mass where I have felt that nourishment. Yeah. It's something I think I've noticed more in campus ministry because I'm not saying mass uh, on a typical day until later in the evening. You mm-hmm. know, like tonight we have mass at 9 p.m. And, you know, there have been days when I'm like, man, something's off, something's off. Mm-hmm. And then I finally get to celebrate mass at 9 p.m. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's what it was. Yeah. You know, I was I, I uh, hadn't received our Lord yet. I hadn't had that chance for communion. Right. Is the communal aspect of the celebration too, right? I mean, yes, it's about the Lord, but being able to do so as a body. Absolutely. Right. And how it gives, it gives you life to feed. Absolutely. I don't want to speak for you, but like, I imagine that gives you so much life knowing that you're, um, which by the way, is just insane and amazing that it's by your hands. Yes. Come on. It, the miracle happens in your hands every day. That's insane. That's enough to scare you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Father Mitchell, what about you? Yeah. I would like Father Matthew. It's Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, you have the grace of eternal life, and you've invited us to to spend time with you uh, in the gift of the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, so, you know, as a priest, I don't I don't know I don't know any different. I don't want to know any different mm. than than the Holy Hour with the Lord, yeah. uh, and with the Blessed Sacrament, either exposed or reserved. Um, yeah, there are, there are a few days in the year where. You know, I have to pray without uh, the presence of the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. It's absolutely different, Father Matthews. Uh, we're, we're made um, to meet Jesus where he's invited us to meet him and mm-hmm. to spend time with him there. Uh, the Lord thirsts for our presence, and he He thirsts yeah. uh, to reveal himself. And uh, and this, it's just the best meeting place. Yeah. There's just nothing like it. Uh in the world so you know it's the first part of my day and i would say that, that i love uh days when there's class here at ku uh, i do a holy hour with the students uh, and i always sit at the front of the church um, um because i i'm easily distracted like most of us are <laughs> there you um but I, I do that as well because i i think the young people also want to see their father in prayer mm. and i've been convicted about that as well <clears throat> Um, so as many days as I can, uh, I, I schedule that whole hour with our students. It probably ends up being 200 days a year or so yeah. that I get to spend an hour uh, in prayer uh, with our students, uh, which is really, that's a gift to me. Yeah. And I know they're behind me. Uh, uh, I, you know, I invite anybody to come by the St. Lawrence Center and watch uh, these young people, their, their relationship with the Lord it's, it's, and their desire to pray. Uh, it's very courageous. You know they don't have to be here, and uh, and yet they come uh, with great you know with great faith. Um, so it, that's a that's a beautiful gift to try to do that every day, and and of course the the daily mass. Uh, yeah, it's a communal, it's a communal thing. I I think we're all made for and a holy hour with the with the Lord, and and for Him to be our daily bread. Yeah, I used to be less convicted about that that oh well daily masses for some people holy hours for some people and you know a lot of people never are, are going to be able to realize that devotion of daily mass and a daily holy hour but that doesn't mean we're not made for it mm-hmm. <laughs> and and i hate to think who we would be without it yeah 
Um, because there's plenty of examples of who we are without it. Uh, you can <laughs> but, say that. Yeah. But, but to imagine a world where uh, that really was the central part of more and more people's life. Mm. Now that is a that is a beautiful and holy thought right. uh, that people are living uh, through the grace of the Eucharist. Um, their entire life is centered on that. Uh, there's no limit to what's possible right. um, if, if that's our reality. You know, a lot of people, when they hear a uh, holy hour, they're like, what? I mean, seriously, you just, an hour, you just sit there? But like, it's it's not like that. I mean, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's just that simple. But like, what are, you know, for, for some folks out there who are like, okay, that's great for you, Father, kind of like what you said. Um, like, what, what would you say... Um, is a good starting point because you know an hour sure maybe it's maybe it's a matter of time maybe it's a matter of like okay what am i actually doing because i am so scatterbrained mm -hmm. um and when you're doing it so often it's second nature you've got your rhythm but for those who might be starting out what would you what would you share well i would say first off uh, you can build up to an hour you know with a lot of our students um you know we will i'll say hey give me 30 minutes give give our lord 30 minutes and you can build up to that mm -hmm. Or you can just dive into the deep end of the pool and do it. Um, I would say um, what I like to do is I like to do some some kind of Lexio Divina, holy reading of scripture. And, you know, the goal is not to pound through a whole lot of scripture. You never read more than a chapter. Or I don't. And when something strikes you, uh, speak to the Lord about it. And then yeah. listen. You know, be willing to be silent yourself. And he speaks in the depths of our heart. And listen. Yeah. And just talk to him. Yeah. Like he's a normal person. Absolutely. Because he is. He's mm. also God. Yeah. But he's also a normal person, you know? Amen. Yeah, I, I think I'm growing in <clears throat> being able to share my emotions with the Lord as well. That's been a growth in my prayer life. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people say, I want to feel this way, but and I don't like feeling this way. Mm. And I said, well, that oftentimes that that's good. That's a good stuff of prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I pray with scripture, especially the daily lectionary, um, and I, I try to notice how I'm being affected. Yeah. Uh, try to stay super sensitive in prayer. You know, what am I thinking, feeling, desiring? Um, you know, where even where's where's my body? You mm. know, am I am I in touch or am I? Um, am I away from myself or, yeah. um, and then whatever, whatever's going on in life, that's the stuff of prayer, uh, that the Lord thirsts to, you know, I'm angry, I'm distracted, I'm confused, I'm, yeah. I'm hurting, um, I'm joyful. I, uh, just to whatever's going on is, right. is the good stuff of, of prayer. Um, so, you know, I want to encourage people a lot of times they would say, I don't know how to do it. And it's just, it's just sharing you know, it's it's a shared experience with the Lord, yeah. Uh, and and just share, yeah, what's going on in your life, uh, and He thirsts for that. And and oftentimes, if you give Him a chance and, and ask boldly for what you desire, uh, He's going to speak into that in surprising ways. Yeah. yeah, I I like to tell folks that the the best prayer that you can pray is the most honest one, because He just wants you. He wants you as you are. Um, he, he wants you as you are. He'll meet you as you are, but he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you as you are. Uh, you, you'll always leave from that time transformed and changed. So amen to that. Yeah. Um, amen like, to that. I, you don't oftentimes hear people leaving their time of prayer saying, well, that was just a waste of time. You right. know, I, right. I, I wish I could have that time back. Yeah. You know, you actually gain, 
you gain so much. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even realize exactly what you've received, but you've received right. you've received a lot in prayer. Just yeah. just by putting the time in. Saying yes to the time factor, right? Like getting it on your calendar and actually making it happen. And and just sitting there, I mean, um, you like I've 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 felt an experience that like he just takes things off of me. Like when I'm in his presence, he just removes weight from my shoulders, from my back, from like whatever. He just he just kind of lifts it off. You don't you don't really notice it until after. Um, yeah, I'm super convicted. Love is spelled T I M E because mm. there's so many. You you won't meet a person who don't think they're busy. He doesn't think they're busy. Yeah. Uh, I'm just so busy. Uh, I just Everyone. don't. I just don't have time. But that's how love is spelled. Uh, and yeah, there, there's a way to make time for mm. who we love. Yeah, there, there's something about that that that's inescapable. Yeah, amen. So a lot of our brothers and sisters out there are on the fence about the Eucharist. Um, maybe they're trying to wrap their heart around it. Um, maybe they're trying to wrap their head around this this truth that they've they've come to know that they've been taught maybe or that they've heard about um but what would you say to any of our brothers and sisters out there who are on the fence what would you uh, share with them about the old eucharist well i always start with john 6 and um tell them to sit with john 6 and it's it's uh, to see jesus um have multiple opportunities to well to see first off that the crowds understood him literally and that they give Jesus multiple opportunities to explain himself, to yeah. say, oh, I'm speaking figuratively. And each time he doubles down on what he's saying and he doubles down on the realism of what he's saying and that he's willing to lose everybody. Mm -hmm. And I, I always turn people's attention to Peter's response because I think that's very instructive because Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. When Jesus asks, will you go also? That's when he says that. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say... Uh, amen, amen, Lord, you know, truly, truly, your flesh is true food and your blood is true drink. And whoever eats your flesh and drinks your blood has eternal life. I believe that. That's not what he says. Yeah. It's as if he's saying, I don't get what you said, but I know who you are. I believe you. I trust you. Your word is good enough for me. Amen. And so I think, I think John 6 is a great place. And then a second thing I always tell people to do is to put yourself in the presence of the blessed sacrament. I remember, I, I believe it was Scott Hahn from the Lamb's, Lamb's Supper, mm -hmm. who told part of his conversion story, he went to a daily mass. And he when, snuck in. Snuck in, yes, <laughs> snuck in. And when the priest uh, elevated the host after the consecration, um, just his heart surged within him, and he said, Jesus, it's you. Now that's a extraordinary grace. Yeah. But uh, our Lord is really present, and he will He will move you along if you're honest and open to Amen. him. Amen. I'll pick up where Father Matthew left off. Uh, just come and see. Uh, I think if you put yourself in the Lord's presence, um, yeah, your doubts will be received by the Lord, mm. just like they were for Thomas. <laughs> yeah. uh, your doubts will be received by the Lord. He says, come, come and um, and probe. Yep. <laughs> probe those doubts and, and let, them be, let them be filled with faith mm. and, and the true faith. Uh, I had a, somebody come, just entered RCIA here at KU. And so I said, well, you know, what is, what's making you more interested in the Catholic faith? And he said, I've never seen young people pray the way I saw them pray at mass. And he said, it affected me and I want in. Come on. <laughs> so good. And, and so sometimes you have to come and see, you know, the, uh, yeah, your doubts can take over. 
Yeah. Uh, certainly, but if you come and before the Blessed Sacrament, if you come to Mass, uh, you'll see you'll see some things that'll change your mind. You'll see some things that'll change your heart. And uh, but you know, if you don't come, then your doubts can can certainly, I think, predominate uh, in your life and take over. So, yeah. so just come, spend time before the Blessed Sacrament, see what happens. Amen. I remember being at uh, Corpus Christi in high school at, at one of my first masses. It was pretty funny. My my now wife asked me, "Hey, I don't know what you're doing on Sunday, but like, would you want to come to mass with me and my family on Sunday?" And I'm like, "That sounds great. What's mass? Like, I did I had no idea. You know, like what what is this mass that you speak of?" Anyway, it turned out to be church and Jesus and but whatever. Just the the simplicity of the Gloria that was sung. I remember coming home and googling the words because I'm like, "What is this song?" Mm-hmm. Right? It's this. I mean, the stuff that we take for granted, mm-hmm. like somebody praying in mass, a song that everybody kind of just like moans through at mass. Like, it it, it rocked me. It rocked me so. Sing it loud and proud, folks. Yeah, I just love the, and then just one thing before we kind of transition into the second part of our conversation today. Uh, it's like Jesus is there in the tabernacle. He's there for one purpose, one sole purpose, and that's for you. For you. Like he's not there for anyone else when you're there. He's there for you. His attention is not fixed on something else, somewhere else, some other time, some other place, some other problem, some other yada yada, bigger, more problematic than you, like whatever. Like your baggage is enough for him because you have his full attention. I just wanted to, to make that declaration that you have his full attention. Okay, so the second part of our conversation today. So we're going to crack open paragraphs 34 through 46 of this document, Ecclesia de Eucharistia. And just to give you a little bit more context here, so this is written by Saint Pope or Pope Saint John Paul II, the Great. Like this man was a, a living legend, um, and he he wrote this to the bishops, priests, and deacons, men and women in the consecrated life, and all the lay faithful. That is the entire church. Okay, the only thing he left out was the the birds and the bees, but he, he left. It, it's it's written to everybody. Uh, he he wrote this in 2003, the 25th year of his pontificate. And he wrote this for one purpose. He says it in paragraph six, to rekindle Eucharistic amazement. To rekindle Eucharistic amazement. So our section today, uh, paragraphs 34 through 46, um, this, the, the focus of this section is really just on like the Eucharist as communion and what communion means for the church. The, he talks about this invisible communion and the visible communion, like what do these terms mean? And then he talked a lot about the relationship between uh, the Eucharist and the Sacrament of Reconciliation and Penance. So, those are kind of just some some bigger ideas to to kind of bar our conversation today to kind of give you some context. And I want to invite you, um, dear listener, dear friend, dear brother and sister, or sister in Christ, to you can read along with us. Like we we're we're kind of acting as guides in this conversation because we know that the the capital T tradition of the Church can be pretty intimidating sometimes. Um, we say, okay, papal document, it's like, uh, no thanks, but chop it up into little bite-sized pieces like this, and it's totally doable. You can do this as a small group with your friends. You can have coffee with your family or whatever. Like, you know your context, but please read along with us. We don't want this to just be some, you know, facts being, you know, spat at you through your headphones, but truly something that we can walk in together. Amen. Soapbox aside, great. 
Fathers, what are your golden nuggets from this section? Well, I, I have a couple uh, that, that really jumped out to me. One is this idea that the Eucharist, uh, this is paragraph 34, um, you know, 34, two, I guess you would say the Eucharist thus appears as the culmination of all the sacraments in perfecting our communion with mm-hmm. God, the father by identification with his only begotten son through the working of the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. It is, um, we call it the source and summit. And, you know, so it's the source of Christian life because it's, it's he who gave himself for us on Calvary, gives us his very flesh and blood as our spiritual food and drink, but it's also the summit. It is the highest form of worship we can offer to God because it's it's the worship of the Son uh, offers to the Father uh, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, the, the Mass is a prayer to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, like, hello, his entire life is an act of worship. What? Yeah. It's a prayer. His life is a sacrifice. Yeah, we we uh, we celebrate our masses here at the St. Lawrence Center uh, a little bit differently. Um, each mass kind of has its own personality because we're we're trying we're trying to provide the full breadth of experience that people can have around the Eucharist. So I'll just skip ahead, uh, maybe to our 9 p.m. mass on Sunday night, which uh, we do celebrate at Orientum, uh, which emphasizes, awesome. um, you know, when when the priest is engaging the people in a dialogue. But then when everyone is praying together uh, to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and it's it's born some really, really great fruit. It's it's a quieter mass. Mm. It's it's a more um, an internal experience of, of, of the communion of the right. church. Um, but it, yes, but it but it's really good. Uh, again, we're trying to get sensitized people mm-hmm. <laughs> to what the Eucharist really, really, really is. I think we all know what it is, but as far as like being sensitized mm-hmm. to it, to be to be in touch, to right. be to be amazed by it as the summit, this is the high point of what our life is all about. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to celebrate the Eucharist as intentionally as we can, um, so that that gets expressed right. in a beautiful way. And for our listeners yeah. who might not understand or know uh, what at Orientum is, could you explain what that is? Right. It's just it, in the times when the priest is not directly engaging the people, uh, then the priest would turn um, toward the altar, and everybody would be uh, praying in the same direction. Right. Um, so you you in essence have your I mean your back toward the people, kind of right. leading them as a captain on a ship. Absolutely, if, if you will. Right. Okay. And that's one of our five masses. So I, I'm very much I love the Novus Ordo, the the way that um, the masses celebrate now. I think it can be. Uh, highly engaging. I think it can be an incredible experience mm-hmm. for people if it's celebrated with beauty and mm-hmm. intention. Um, and so, even at the Ad Orientum Mass, um, I'm not. There's an emphasis on some transcendence. Yeah. Um, that uh, we're going somewhere new and heavenly uh, right. as we pray uh, together. But even then, I'll like I'll go out in the crowd and give the homily. You know, I'll try to be as close to them as, as right. I possibly can. You're not giving the homily right. backwards. I'm not giving the homily <laughs> You're not backwards. Sitting in your right. chair backwards. Yeah, I want it to be a highly engaging, <laughs> very personal experience. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, but but especially during the Eucharistic prayer, uh, that right. would be the high point of the prayer. Uh, it's it's very visible that right. we're that we're praying together through the priest, but we're praying together to the Father in yeah. the Son through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Amen. So one nugget for me was in paragraph 36. Um, he says, the invisible or invisible communion 
through its, uh, though by its nature always growing, presupposes the life of grace by which we have become partakers of the divine nature and the practice of the virtues of faith, hope, and love. To me, that really convicted me of, like, what am I actually doing in my life? If I'm not living a life chasing virtue, I'm not trying to be a perfectionist. Like, the Lord desires perfection, but he's not a perfectionist. That was a great line from uh, Philip, uh, what's his name? Oh, Father Jacques Philippe. Jacques Philippe, yeah. Uh, French, French things I don't understand, but just the... Uh, if I were to hold my life, if, if I were to hold my soul over the, the refining fires of the Lord's love for me, like, am I, am I doing that? And like, the, the more that I'm willing to do that with my daily life, of, of building these virtues of faith, hope, and love, not just by my own willpower, but by cooperating with the Lord's grace, that I'm actually then able to participate more fully in the Eucharist when I am blessed and privileged to receive our Lord. Absolutely. I, you know, the whole idea of invisible versus visible bonds, which, you know, you mentioned the beginning or going on here, when we're talking invisible bonds, we are talking about the supernatural life of grace, Mm -hmm. which begins in baptism, but it's not something static. It is meant to grow in us. Amen. And there's not an end point this side of heaven. It's meant to continue to grow. You know, Father Mitchell had a grandfather passed away at 104. If you look blessed to live 104 years, it's meant to grow all those 104 years and keep expanding yeah. and um, encompass our whole being. Yeah, you know, life is a struggle, and it, the the intimate con- connection between the moral life and the spiritual life, the growth in virtue, and the ability to experience the very life of God, those are intimately connected. Mm. And when they're not... Uh, yeah, there, it's really, really hard to experience a life of grace if your nature is damaged and if you're not working to strengthen and heal that. Yeah. Uh, so I think all the all the priests, uh, we know that Eucharistic amazement is going to grow alongside the sacrament of confession. Yeah. Uh, and you see more and more of us offering more and more confessions uh, and and usually before Mass, and yeah. I, every year of my priesthood, I've heard more confessions than the year before. And, Come on. and I think, it, as far as I can tell, looking into the future, <laughs> um, that is going to continue to grow. Uh, and, and I don't think Eucharistic amazement and the life of grace can grow. Also, I mean, we, we are body and soul. We are, grace builds upon nature. And so we are cooperators in this great work of God. And, yeah. uh, and you have to, yes, you have to put in the work. Um, so, you know, a, a, some, a lot of times in confession, people will say, well, I didn't pray, and that's why I sinned. I was like, well, uh, yeah, okay. You know, that's true um, to a certain extent. But, what, but also, like, what are you doing? Are you working out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you building virtue? Uh, because there's this, yeah, if our nature is not even able to be aware or to hold this life of grace, this invisible communion that we're meant to experience really yeah. in a profound way to be really life-giving. Uh, it, it fails, yeah. you know, it fails if it's not connected to the mm-hmm. life of virtue. Something that dovetails with what we're talking about is 38. He, uh, Pope St. John Paul II, he says that the uh, second paragraph in, in number 38, Christ is the truth. He bears witness to the truth. Sacrament of his body and blood uh, does not permit duplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it's, with what Father Mitchell was saying, that it's like we need to have this integrity of um, we need to be 
look at not a finished product integrity, yeah. but we need to be, um, we need to have this invisible bond of communion one, mm-hmm. and we need to, uh, be striving after the holiness that he calls us to. Yeah. 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 And, and how, um, and how easy it is to, uh, to own up to it. Mm-hmm. Like that's all we have to do mm-hmm. and just own it and say, you know what, Lord, there's some, there's some stuff going on and I don't, I can't handle it. I, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I've been duplicitous mm-hmm. and just say, I have been duplicitous. You know, I, I have had split spirit about you, about my life, about our time. Um, and I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say other than I'm sorry. I messed up, but I want you and I want more of you in my life. Problem solved. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. The Lord's like, okay, great. Are you ready to get up and keep walking now? Like, come on. Um, but paragraph 42, something that struck me was, he says, the safeguarding and promotion of ecclesial communion is a task for who? For each member of the faithful who finds in the Eucharist as the sacrament of the church's unity an area of special concern. If you don't like something in the church, change it. <laughs> like, get to work. Like, marching orders. I just love that. If there's disunity in the body, do something about it. You know, like, it's all it's our, it's our, all of our pastoral responsibility and concern which is which is kind of what he's pointing at he follows that up with saying like yeah it's the pastor's job in particular to really just hone in on this because like yes amen but yeah if you just if you don't like something just um you can you can do something about it i think that's what um he's saying here is that we all have uh, a job to do and we can yeah we can embrace it i had a i had a student who was complaining about uh the music that we have or sometimes don't have it's a it's a volunteer thing at yeah. the diddy center and i said well great do you want to sing Amen. And she, she goes no i don't i don't i just i want you to go and yeah i want you, know, you to do something about yeah it. i want you to do something i'm not going to do that. i want mm. you to and it's like well you know you can't sing you know i i sing at every mass and i'm terrible i mean you can father we know yes <laughs> no well my students do i think it's beautiful uh Jesus says to each one of us in a very personal way, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Mm-hmm. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Yeah. Uh, do you not remember, as St. Paul reminded us this, this weekend, that you are the temple of God? And so with that, with that gift of that incredible dignity becomes yeah. uh, agency, responsibility uh, to, that falls to each one of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's lots of things we can change about the church, but there's always something that we can change. Right, right. <laughs> and and we need to, you know, we need to hone in on that. Yeah. Uh, and that's if if everybody in the church is excited about what they can give in response to what we have received, yeah. Then, wow, that's mm-hmm. you know, in, instead of just being a bunch of um, complainers. Um, I mean, look at how yeah. many times the the Israelites complained uh, to Moses. You know where that we, got them? We're, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're we're sick with this wretched food. And right. Like, what's keeping you alive? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're not dead yet. So let's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah right. let's let's figure it out together. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's beautiful about the bonds of communion. We are our brother's keeper. We are all in this together. Yeah. Beautiful Catholic idea of salvation that it, it's, um, it's received together as the bride and body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, even more so as, as a communion than as individuals. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and we all get to contribute to that. It's beautiful. If you're listening, yeah, Amen. If if you are listening to this, you have something that the church needs. You have something that the church needs. 
um, we hear the, 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 the three T's, right? Time, talent, treasure. Like, what is it? Um, ideally it's a little bit of all of it, right? But like you have something that the church needs. You have giftings, you have dispositions, you have, um, resources at your disposal. If, even if it's just a simple yes, like, I don't know what I can do or can't do. Just like approach, uh, your pastor, approach your, somebody at the, at the parish or your, um, your apostolate, like your, your school, wherever it is that you're listening from, like you can do something. And if you're not actively doing something, you should do something. Find that thing. Amen. Uh, something uh, kind of in closing here. Um, if we've got a couple others, that's great. Uh, and Father, if you need to dip out, feel free to, to dip out whenever you need to. Paragraph 42 really got me. He said, um, he was talking, so this section, the, the wrapping up this section, it was, it was a lot about of, uh, ecumenism, mm -hmm. uh, of, of this uh, bringing all Christians together, those who are um, within communion, those who are uh, in communion, I should say, with the Catholic Church and those who are um, not. So he said in paragraph 42, the path towards full unity can only be undertaken in truth. In truth. And in that same vein, he says in 46, our brothers and sisters of different Christian confessions who have a right, they have a right to our witness to the truth. They have a right to hear Jesus. They have a right to hear um, our testimony to the truth, um, and and to to bear and like for us to to bear witness to the truth, like we have to do that, um, because it's it's their due. They have a right to the truth, and if we're truth holders and truth walkers, then they have access. They they deserve access to that. And I just love that like the the way to full restoration and unity in the church is to not water anything down. Amen. It's 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 um, truth cuts. Like it's it's something that it does. Like it it cuts. It's like light. It differentiates uh, light from darkness. Like it it just breaks through. It cuts. Um, and Jesus, he's like the best heart surgeon ever. He's the perfect heart surgeon. He'll get in there with his little scalpel, slice and dice, truth from untruth. When he speaks, he speaks truth. So yeah, we just got to be willing to to step up and to speak truth in charity. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm aware of at least one conversion story that began because the, the individual was like, well, what's the big deal? Why can't I receive communion? Right. Why do I have to be Catholic right. to receive communion? And um, holding to those norms is saying, no, 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 no. We believe this is Jesus Christ, really, truly, substantially, body, blood, soul, divinity. And if you don't, why would we give right. our greatest treasure to you if you don't and yeah. um yeah the norms are not there to be mean they're not there to be divisive they're there because we believe that they are true yeah. and whenever i have to have a difficult conversation with somebody about receiving the eucharist i always say look i wouldn't be doing you any service if i watered this down or whatever and i wouldn't even be doing my job and and yeah. so yeah i think i think there is a witness there of holding to um these these norms that that didn't come from John Paul II. You yeah. know, they go back to St. Paul, but right. um, and and to Jesus. But uh, uh, John Paul just eloquently lays out here. Yeah, and like we, I don't want to keep like nobody wants to play t-ball for the rest of their life, mm -hmm. you know. And it's 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 kind of doing everybody a disservice if we're like, okay, we're going to put this on this little tee for you, mm -hmm. so you can hit it, Johnny. You know, mm -hmm. go for it. But like, it's actually. It's actually an act of charity, an act of, 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 of love 
to say, no, I'm going to chuck this sucker at you, you know, swing, swing or not. It's up to you. Yeah. I'll use a sports metaphor because those are my favorite. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, if you're going to win a championship, you got to all be on the same page yeah. and you got to believe and and trust the same thing. You have to be with and for each other and you have to follow uh, the rules uh, that make you a real team. So you can't have people saying, I'll, I'll just practice when it works for me um, and I'll, I'll follow the rules for this team that worked right. for me and the, the rest I'll just, um, yeah. and you know, I'll just play the way that I want to play. <laughs> well, right. well, the chiefs aren't going to win the super bowl. The, yeah. the Jayhawks aren't going to win the natty. Yeah. Uh, there's circumstances and everybody gets that. Mm -hmm. And yet sometimes when it comes to our salvation, we don't want to play for keeps. We want to, mm -hmm. um, as you say, water it down and say, yeah. well, good enough is good enough. No, it's not. Uh, we're, um, this is real. Yeah. Um, life is real, everybody. <laughs> and you either, yeah, you either play for keeps and, and, and the risk of faith and, and, and living for something more than yourself, uh, takes obedience. It takes, yeah. um, yeah, you, you cannot divorce, uh, obedience, um, or the risk of faith out of, uh, especially when we're dealing with the truth of the Eucharist, yeah. uh, cannot cannot be watered down. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll go back to this young person that just showed up at our CIA out of nowhere. And okay, so what is it? And he said, you know, nobody. I've never seen anybody have that amount of reverence and intimacy in their prayer. Mm. I've never seen it anywhere. Uh, just the just watching students look at the Eucharist was convicting for him. Yeah. And so when you look, I think when you look at ecumenism, people have a right to your faith. Yeah, they do. <laughs> to your relationship with the Lord. Um, yeah, and so whether it's sharing um, how you're different because you have this intimate, life-giving relationship mm -hmm. with the Lord in the Eucharist, yeah. and to be able to articulate that, people have a right to that. Yeah. And, and, and then only when they receive that you know, can we arrive at the fullness of truth together? And and parents out there, like your your kids have a right to see you pray, Father. Like you were saying earlier, I don't. I think that was something that I, you know, in one ear, one out the other, but it's back now. Um, like your your kids need to see you pray. So, are you praying one and two? Are you praying in a way that they can see? Um, I heard a story once of a dad who was like, "I've got my thing. I've got. I'm up in my office, but you know what? My kids aren't seeing me pray. So I have made my prayer time now in the living room." super distracted prayer but my kids are seeing me with my bible mm -hmm. i've been doing the same thing too like every time my kids wake up the first thing they do is they come up to me in my office where i am walking uh through scripture chronologically just going through going through uh the, the gospels um a chapter at a time every morning father anything that you want to close this out with anything any thoughts i i think this whole idea of the invisible and the visible communion yeah. right um when we are celebrating mass when we are participating in mass yeah um one thing that i always uh, strikes me is you are celebrating mass you are joined by the angels and saints we've kind of hinted at this earlier right you're also joined by the whole church you know uh, you we celebrate it with the pope even though the pope's in rome yeah we celebrate it with the archbishop even though at the diddy center we're in emporia kansas and he's in kansas city sure. right it's it's a celebration that encompasses the church and and uh um yeah i think it's it's something that there's infinitely more going on in the mass that meets the eye yeah. and i think we are 
in our day and age, we want to see it and feel it. And, um, you know, we need to, we need to test it ourselves according to how we judge things. But, yeah. uh, you may see what looks like an ordinary human ritual or, uh, whatnot, but, um, right. this is heaven on earth. Yeah. Uh, in reality. I love that. That's kind of where the, like the, the, the term of our faith Catholic kind of might come in a little bit to play. Cause like, okay, I've, um, this is crazy. Like I, um, my whole life I hadn't really understood what, I mean, I've heard Catholics say, okay, um, Catholic means universal. And I'm like, oh, cool. That sounds great. Um, I actually learned recently that if you were to break it down in the Greek, kata holos, like according to the whole mm. is what that means. Like mm-hmm. Catholic means according to the whole. Um, and just, wow. Like how, when it comes to the Eucharist, the Eucharist is celebrated according to the whole, right? It's yes. it's wherever you are in the world. Absolutely. And it's in the mass is the same. I mean, I, I remember before I was ordained, I went to mass in, uh, I was in Italy one summer and, uh, you know, I, I don't speak hardly any Italian. I know a phrase here or there. And yet it's the mass, it's the same mass, you know, it's mm. the same Jesus. Uh, and, you know, there's also this dimension too, that it's the mystical presentation again of Calvary yeah. and so that we can participate in it. And so it's, the foundational event of all of human history yeah. is made present as well as communion of the saints and uh, communion uh, of the church today. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's a reality that, um, you know, father Mitchell mentioned being a, a child and not caring if uh, they went to mass or not. And sure. I certainly, that was true for me. And um, I, I, um, we, only impoverish ourselves yeah. when we miss mass. Yeah. yeah. So get there, get in yes, there. Absolutely. Just come on back. Like if it's been a while, who cares? Like if, no. if you just give it to the Lord, yeah. who cares? Like it's in the blood. Absolutely. Just give it to the Lord and own it and get back, get back in the, in the pew there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, Father Nagel, Father Mitchell, Thank you, thank you, thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your witness. Thank you for your uh, adherence to the truth. Thank you for um, shepherding us and for making Jesus in the Eucharist possible for us, the people. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say thanks uh, times a thousand. That's my pleasure, and thanks for thanks for having us on. Yeah. So, for more information about the Eucharistic revival, if you want to learn more, um, and if you... If you'd be interested in a, a beautiful library of prayer and formation resources, please, please, please visit archkck.org slash revival. You'll find all sorts of goodies there for you. Uh, also, if you have not yet been following along with us in this papal document, um, go ahead and search it. Ecclesia de Eucharistia. You can totally just botch the spelling, but Google's going to help you out and point you in the right direction. So yeah, next week we're going to be going over another section. Um, we've only got two more, I think, two more um, sessions in this document before we move on. Um, but nonetheless, want to invite you uh, to do so uh, weekly, to follow along with us weekly. Um, so if this podcast has blessed you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends and family. Do it. Just do it. Um, but before we send you out, uh, Father Nagel, would you be so kind as to give us a blessing? Absolutely. 
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. This has been New Mana. We'll see you next week. God bless you.